Hey guys, welcome back to Screenworthy, brought to you by The Mind Refinery. I'm your host, Kyle Bodanis. This week, John, Neil, and I are talking about the 40th anniversary of Raiders of the Lost Ark. If you listen carefully, you can hear John glowing during the talk. If you like what you hear, rate and subscribe wherever you hear podcasts, and if you have time, follow The Mind Refinery on social media. And now, here's the show. Here today to talk about Amazon's purchase of MGM and the 40th anniversary of Raiders of the Lost Ark is Belock himself. Is that how we pronounce it? Is it Belosh or Belock? Belock. Uh, Belock. Anyways, John Neal. How's it going, John? What's going on? Uh, you know, it's uh, it's Hell's waiting room in the uh, in the city today, which yep. is much better than the snow we had. Well, I think almost less than a month ago. Being stalked uh, by Devo. Yeah, it's uh, it's it, it's beautiful. We're getting towards. We got our second vaxes booked. We're we're getting towards a little bit of freedom here. Can't can't complain. Getting there. Yeah. So like, let's get right into this. Last week, Amazon announced the purchase of MGM Studios for $8.25 billion, making it the mega retailer's second largest purchase next to Whole Foods. The $8.25 billion is also cheaper than an organic goji berry salad at Whole Foods, but I digress. <laughs> uh, the MGM purchase includes a catalog with 4,000 movies and 17,000 hours of television, with that includes... The James Bond franchise, the Rocky franchise, I believe RoboCop, as we were talking about before this, uh, and then hit TV shows like Handmaid's Tale and Fargo, and then hit TV shows, but kind of lame TV shows like Survivor, The Voice, Shark Tank, and uh, not-so-lame Vikings. Mm -hmm. So let's start by, you know, what are our thoughts on the purchase of MGM, and is this the biggest statement of intent from Amazon in the crowded streaming ecosystem yet? I think it's up there. I think because uh, it's also the fact that it's MGM and they've been around since like the dawn of Hollywood. It's definitely sort of a, I mean, it's kind of a, when I first saw it, I wasn't surprised, but at the same time I was kind of like, wow, okay. So all these tech companies are just going to start buying up movie studios now so that they can put everything on their streaming service and have carte blanche for content. I don't necessarily know how much is going to change. Like, I still feel like they're going like whatever MGM produces going forward for movies. I still feel like quite a bit of them are going to be in theaters. Maybe this is a sign that we're going to be doing uh, multi-platform releases of things like what HBO Max is doing with uh, like Dune and like Suicide Squad and all that stuff. But I mean, I don't know how I necessarily feel about the whole thing yet. I guess we'll kind of have to see how it goes. I definitely think they're going to still do theatrical releases. Like for me, this is more about sucking out the back catalog yeah. and then continuing what they're doing. It just kind of diversifies Amazon's content situation. Yeah, I think will it's they, the big will thing. They, will, they, will they need some bigger stuff too, right? Because like they've done some some decent uh, like productions themselves, right? I think notably The Boys comes to mind in particular yeah. as as like a really great series, but like. This kind of gives them an opportunity to really sort of dive into some legacy type stuff and and open some old IPs and shit like that, right? So. Yeah, and I, I think the big thing is the IP. It's a good mix of big time, you know, old big time franchises, some premium TV, you know, with Handmaids and Fargo, and then you have your like McDonald's ish reality series. I mean, if you're Amazon, you want to flex those financial muscles as much as yeah. you can because like your direct competitions are Netflix you know, which is the company largely responsible for influencing this streaming ecosystem, but also Disney who just like consumes IP and yeah. our childhood and spits <laughs> them back, uh, you know, generation after generation. And I think that 
yeah i think it's the like the only really huge ip that they have going now and you know definitely hit us up if i'm forgetting anything they have the 495 million dollar monstrosity that's going to be lord of the rings yeah uh when it comes out but i'm not but beyond that you're competing with disney which has massive amounts of ip and then grabbing james bond is a big one that's one Mm -hmm. that is never really going to go away Uh, rocky there's still i mean the creed movies have kind of rejuvenated rejuvenated rocky as you know to be very honest with you i think they're better like those two creed movies are better than like most of the rocky movies other than like one yeah and i i think this is kind of what you have to do if you're amazon i would expect them to purchase more my only question is is at what point uh because they're already being you know they already have the ire of washington on them for you know being you know, antitrust and um, for third party retail. Yeah. If they start consuming more, I'm pretty sure also you're going to get antitrust, you know, from the media standpoint, but I, I don't know how that's going to work out because I mean, if Disney isn't getting flagged for it, then I don't know, Yeah. you know, what is, but like, where do you think this positions them in the streaming wars? It's definitely moving them up. I mean, now they have, like I said, now they have an opportunity to dive into old IPs, resurrect a few, maybe like, I guess we'll have to see what they're thinking. Like, I like I wonder if there was a other than the fact uh, that they're acquiring a movie studio and that they have all these other IPs. What other motivations were there in purchasing it other than to either resurrect IPs or to just be able to throw everything up on their streaming service? Right. To get more subscribers to Amazon Video and Amazon Prime. I think it's uh, all of the above, to be honest with you. Again, like before if you look at like before this purchase if you look at their studio you know if you look at amazon studios it's heavily rooted in streaming releases it's not particularly diverse the whole obviously amazon as a whole is diverse which is what gives them you know firepower and Mm -hmm. safety for these kind of purchases and developing content A, a financial safety that netflix doesn't necessarily have right and i i just think that it allows them to tick off it kind of future proofs things for them because yeah. you get to do the big theatrical releases, but then you also get to pull any of the old shows out and you get to develop the new stuff. And like you're saying is, you know, reviving IP, which is, and that's definitely a huge part of it Yeah, because, you know, that's kind of the, that's kind of the vogue right now is bringing back these old things that have pre-existing audiences and that are interesting. You know, I, I think at this point, we've always thought of the studios as the largest entities in in entertainment, in the mm-hmm. entertainment industry. But now, since the lines between entertainment and tech are blurred, you know, the power dynamics completely changed. So, well, it's, you know, it's hard to compete with a like a tech company like Apple or Amazon when you're a movie studio, because the tech companies have so much friggin money that it just like they make movie studios look childish by comparison. Oh, it's absolutely like an eight point two five billion dollar purchase. Yeah, like that's like that's that's a drop in the bucket. It's like John Ellis from Entourage. He's like, I sell airplane parts, Ari. I can't be bothered in figuring out who's running and doing what, <laughs> what movie. Come on, um, man. I, I think that like you know, my questions are now: Is Netflix going to make a purchase? What is Dis- Disney's reaction? going to be what is apple purchasing is apple going to create an interface that isn't a giant pile of dog shit these are questions that uh <laughs> I, I that you know rack my brain i'm surprised i'm wondering about netflix reaction to it because they've created some of their own ip which is great and they've add like they've been able to get 
IP like Witcher and stuff mm-hmm. like that. I definitely think that the Netflix situation is geared towards a younger audience, but their kind of situation we've talked about on the show a lot. And you just kind of mentioned it with, uh, you know, tech companies versus studios and Netflix is kind of both, but uh, the financial backing of companies like Apple and, uh, and Amazon, like they can kind of, risk-free invest (laughs) money into these things because they have a diverse business model that involves hardware and involves other services that have nothing to do with television and and nothing to do with entertainment their their success doesn't rely on movies exactly 100 percent, and that's really that and that gives them an advantage to just kind of pump in resources whereas netflix has to you know they gotta they really have to work for it in terms of what they're creating because I mean, there's always a risk that if things ever, you know, go south for them, that they could be swallowed up. I just think that certain streaming, I think what's going to help certain streaming services, though, is when you have Netflix in comparison to like Apple. Like, I don't think Apple's is really catching on all that much. Theirs isn't Mm -hmm. particularly good. I don't think. I also don't think that they have a very good interface. Like, Amazon has a pretty good interface. Like, it's gotten a lot better. It was a complete dog shit before. But I think because they have the resources and the tech know-how, there's an understanding that of where they need to improve and that kind of stuff. And Netflix interface is still much better than everyone else's. And there's also like the, sorry, there's also like the lure of the fact that uh, when you sign up for Prime, you get Amazon video. This so, is a, yeah, it's another good thing where exa- you're seeing this kind of like parallel, like this is where, you know, vertical integration comes in and horizontal yeah. integration, you know, the, the integrating your company because, everything can dovetail into everything else. And Mm -hmm. that's the kind of ecosystem that Amazon has kind of put together. Yeah. It's a one-stop shop. It's exactly, it's one-stop shop. And again, we mentioned the antitrust situation, which (laughs) I inevitably, I can't see how they're going to avoid it because if Microsoft had those, the the whole situation with the internet Explorer and everything in the nineties, early two thousands, I can't see them not going through this as well because it's an even bigger fish. Yeah. Yeah, of course. So I want to kind of change gears a little bit and get to the 40th anniversary of Raiders of the Lost Ark. I don't think yes. we have to do too much of an introduction for this particular film. It mm-hmm. is fantastic. It is the brainchild of George Lucas and Steven Spielberg. Yeah. And it is, uh, I think for s- some people, uh, for a lot of people, this is so synonymous with their childhood and growing up and just their opinions and feelings towards movies it 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 creates a lot of really kind of emotional reactions and also it's just kind of a dope ass movie oh yeah and it just always has been and always will so i want to start by asking do you remember the first time you saw raiders of the lost ark no and the only reason i don't remember that is because i have grown up knowing like knowing that movie since basically birth Mm-hmm. So I don't really remember the first time I saw it, but it's been with me forever, right? Like I when I, I can remember, well, not remember. I remember seeing pictures, me dressing up as Indiana Jones going to nursery school. <laughs> and that would have been when I was like three years old, right? So yeah. that's how far back I go with Indiana Jones and Raiders in particular. When I was five, 
it was like 1989 or early 1990 because it was in the theaters for a while i went to see uh last crusade with my grandfather who yeah. in my formative years was a big influence on my love of movies at that point i mean i was five i can't remember much before that anyways i hadn't seen any of these movies any of the indiana jones movies obviously they were by osmosis like being quoted and all that kind of stuff but i was sure. a whelp and uh after it uh I saw it. I really, really liked it. My grandfather loved it, obviously. It's got good action. <laughs> and, um, you know, he went home and watched Raiders and Temple. Even yeah. then, I knew Temple was objectively terrible, even though I didn't really have opinions about things because it's just dog shit. Right. But Raiders was so good. And I watched it so many times after that. And I was always like, let's watch it. And I remember like during the summer when I was a, when I was a kid, summers between like grade one and two and all this kind of stuff, when I wasn't outside or I would be like throwing on the this movie and watching it and just to the point where, you know, all the lines over and over again, because like my grandfather back in the day and this is going to. I, I, I'm not a boomer, but I'm going to get OK <laughs> boomered for it. Uh, so back in the day when it was VHSs, uh, yeah you could have the two VCRs beside each other and you could tape from one to the other until yeah. they started add, uh, adding like um the the magnetic uh the anti yeah the magnetic anti fucking copying shit right. so anyways my grandfather would we'd get the movies he would uh put them in or he'd tape them off the tv so you'd <laughs> see like fucking moses zimer saying shit <laughs> in between you know so like you know, so we'd get those and he had this whole bootleg library of yeah. uh, of films and i would always like watch this and then i would watch like empire strikes back then there'd be like a putting instructional video after it and then jedi and I like yeah. that kind of stuff I, my parents did the same thing with they did the same thing with star wars we had all three star wars taped like off of tv right so you'd be watching empire strikes back boom carbonite cut to a flaky commercial <laughs> <laughs> my grandfather did the did the tape to tape ones i actually didn't see a new hope for a for probably till i was like seven or eight because empire my grandfather had empire and jedi on yeah. one tape with like fucking lee trevino's putting challenge <laughs> and shit in between them and uh like that's how I that that's how I saw it. That's that's why like, uh, but that's still that's why I kind of look at the new, like the new uh, special editions and like it's it's like a fucking affront to me about yeah. how sh dog shit they are. But you know I love this movie and it was super funny. That's the big thing. It was funny, but it was kind of scary. Like when the dude's face melted. Yeah. You know towards the end, you know there were Nazis, which you know from a young age you're taught that Nazis are dog shit and yeah. scary, and uh, it was just. I just fucking loved it. My parents were afraid of me getting scared of the face melting scenes in Raiders. I think it was like, I vaguely remember them trying to, like when we watched it, them trying to make me not watch that part. <laughs> Obviously, I, I, I could, I watched it, but like, I mean, my parents had, I think, Raiders on a, on a taped cassette as well. But what my parents would do is they would put, they wouldn't just put one movie on it, right? Because it's like a, a six-hour tape or something like that. They would always put another movie on it. I th yeah. If I'm not mistaken, and this is like me taping, taking a leap here, but I think it was Raiders and Crocodile Dundee 1 on the same <laughs> VHS tape. So it was always a double feature. So, fuck, you'd watch Raiders and then fucking watch Crocodile Dundee right after that, you know? 
I, yeah. I feel like I didn't wasn't too freaked out at the the face melting because I had watched Last Crusade before that. So the yeah. graphics are significantly better. Mm-hmm. So when dude chooses poorly, right, and the and and his face just like fucking like doesn't melt but ages yeah. yeah just like disintegrates and explodes like that was an intense scene and that kind of freaked me out so almost the face melting was almost like too cartoony yeah. at the time and it was so it was yeah i mean it was this was such an important film in, in terms of shaping fandom and, and and what i loved in in films and stuff moving forward it was just really yeah, I think this is a big film in terms of shaping just what my film enjoying life is. This is one of the, the formative ones. Oh, absolutely. It's the beginning of a love affair with cinema for me because it's really like the start of of, of everything, right? Like you watch a movie like Indiana Jones when you're growing up and, you know, the first thing that you want to do is pretend to be Indiana Jones, right? You want to... You want to go get your little gun and your little whip and fucking go treasure hunting, right? So I was always trying to like do shit like a whip with an extension cord or something like that. I'd always be getting yelled at. So, my mom I made mean, me a she, my mom made me a whip out of like a rope. It wasn't like too long. It was probably like ten feet long, but like on the end of it, for the handles, you just put like a bunch of tape, and like it just kind of tied it together, and then you wound it up. And then she gave me like this little satchel as well because you know indiana jones has the satchel right so you would tie the whip to the to, to the satchel bag and just <laughs> walk awesome. around and walk around and go fucking kill nazis and shit what's your favorite scene <sighs> i don't know feel, if i have feel, feel free to provide multiple ones it's, it's uh, yeah, tough i was gonna say i don't think i have a particular one i think the first one that sticks out and to this day i still believe it's the number one scene for stuntmen everywhere is the truck chase scene oh yeah which is, I mean, they did the, well, they fucking did it. They, yeah. they literally dug a little trench on the road and they had a stunt guy crawl under the truck. That's what they did. They fucking did that. Obviously, the opening scene with the boulder is cl- is like a classic scene, and and the uh, and and the and the little statuette that he replaces with the bag of sand. But then there's like also the map room scene. I would say comes to mind where he where where we finally get to see where the well of the souls is for the first time just that whole scene and also the music by john williams in this movie cannot be fucking understated half of the experience of this movie is just from the music in those scenes i think with john williams score you're kind of like well how's he gonna outdo star wars and then he creates something that's almost completely as iconic yeah and it's just so good and so swelling and so awesome and emotionally manipulative like all john williams music is but it's so perfect for this like john williams is a composer and we've jerked him off many times on these podcasts uh his style is just completely made for these kind of films for these you know swashbuckling type situations i think the opening scene is one of the most iconic opening scenes of all time yeah with the rock with the rock like it's just so good and that's one thing i liked about this and uh last crusade is just like the opening scenes are so fucking memorable and this was it's it's just so fucking good for me the big one uh the scene in the market you know with the sword guy who's swinging it around and then he Mm -hmm. just fucking shoots him 
I still laugh at that every time. It's never not <laughs> hilarious. Apparently, this guy with the sword was like super talented and he had practiced and got ready for the scene and was like super pissed when they actually when he found out they were just going to shoot him because that wasn't kind of the original situation. Well, you know why that like, happened, right? Well, what were they running out? Were they running out of time? Were no, they what was Harrison? That? Tell the story. Ford, tell the Harrison, story. Harrison Ford had the flu. And he couldn't uh, because everyone on the crew, because I've watched all the behind the scenes documentaries, I've <laughs> ate up so much shit about these movies. So I know a ton of the stories, but everyone on the crew got sick when they were filming in, t- in Tunisia. Right. And Spielberg basically said, I ate my breakfast, lunch and dinner out of a can every day. And that's why the crew got sick, because they all ate the food at the hotel. So Harrison Ford was literally throwing up and had the flu and couldn't physically do the sword fighting scene because he was sick. So they're like, well, what the fuck are we going to do? And Harrison Ford was just like, well, what happens if I just fucking shoot him? And they're like, all right, let's try that. And boom, there you go. <laughs> Classic scene. Just because Harrison Ford was sick. Fucking so Luca- had- Lucasfilm's getting their rounds in Tunisia. <sighs> yeah, well, I mean, it's kind of hard shooting on location in a desert in, like, heavy clothing, let alone fucking chewing sword fighting scenes and running action scenes and all this shit. Like, crazy stuff. Yo, can you imagine if they were like driving the truck and it's just like Uncle Owen and Aunt Baru's house just there and just <laughs> just run into that shit? There's just charred court. There's charred remains. <laughs> well, it's they fucking- literally like like they literally shot the um like the scene where they're carrying the ark up to the top of the mountain on the island is literally shot right where the um the Jawas abduct R two D two. In A New Hope. It's the exact same location. Can I get this sand crawler out of the shot, please? <laughs> this fucking set deck not clean up their shit? It was four years ago. I know. That's, That's amazing. So... It's amazing. There's so it's many t- great crossover stories. The sh- that part, that scene where he shoots him is kind of tied for my second favorite. Sorry, for my favorite moment in the whole series. Next to No Ticket from The Last Crusade. Oh, no, great. No Ticket is like one of my grandfather's absolute favorite <laughs> moments. And it's just, it's so, it's just so fucking good. Um, the scene where with the map is incredible as well. It's just yeah. so cool. Because I mean, when you, when you're younger, there's these little Easter eggy things that happen. And, you know, it's like, uh, it's if anything it's like a detective story as well and you know mm-hmm. he's not just this you know he's not just this this brawny fighting guy it's this you know he's this historian archaeologist and it's really kind of cool how it kind of takes you through history a little bit too yeah. and really enjoyed that all the drinking scenes with uh what's her name why can i never remember her name oh marion ravenwood uh yeah um, yeah yeah yeah. i can only remember her fucking real name uh like all the drinking scenes with belloc is like at the end is fucking hilarious as well and Mm. i i just think it's it's just such a good movie that is just violent enough to be awesome but also super fucking hilarious oh absolutely it's it's the whole package yeah, and I think that, like it really kind of set the the prototype for these kind of films moving forward. Like for you, what was your the connection you had with the film? Like why and why do you think people connect with it so well? Well, first of all, it's a it's an easy watch, which is obviously I think the one thing it has going for it. So the general audience is all over that for that reason, but it's also like being so young and seeing a movie that watchable, I think is is something, you know, 
Um, and also, it's a, it's an adventure movie, so you can pretty much, if you're young and 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 you can get into the story and and you can get into what's going on. Like the stakes are super high, obviously, because they're the Nazis are trying to get the the Ark of the Covenant. So you know, if Indiana Jones doesn't get this Ark, the world's kind of fucked, you know. So <laughs> the stakes are high. It's a it's a it's a high stakes adventure film with comedy and real action that they f- literally shot on location for real. There's there's very little uh, VFX in a lot of those crazy stunt sequences. And where there's VFX, it's like it's it's used uh, sparingly and in like a sort of very good way, at least for the time period. But I mean, you know, for a lot of people, it was really their first introduction to cinema, really. And another thing about Raiders that I love is it is a movie made for the cinema lover. Like you kind of have to be invested in the tropes of cinema to really get into it because it's not like a like by comparison, just as a as an example, like when you watch a movie like Arrival and then you watch a movie like Raiders, well, Raiders is very, you know, obviously a movie made for film lovers, kind of like how The Blues Brothers is a movie made for film lovers because yeah. the, the physics of how everything happens in the movie isn't realistic enough that it could happen in real life. So your disbelief is kind of has to be suspended for you to buy into it. But because you're into movies, you can you can go along with it and have fun with it. Right. Whereas yeah. like something like Arrival is like real and like feels, you know, it's very much grounded in the real world, even though it's a, a, a an alien sci-fi movie. Right. So, yeah, that's a, that's a it, distinction I would make there. It's it's an interesting point because Arrival is definitely rooted in realism, even though it's an alien adventure. It's like an alien science fiction story, mm-hmm. but it's not asking you to suspend belief very much. What it's trying to do is create a scenario that people believe would be plausible if it happened in real life. Whereas a film like Rage of the Lost Ark gets you to suspend your disbelief so easily. You're like there in a second. You're like, okay, I'm on for this. This is fucking awesome. Mm -hmm. And I I think this is just a straight up great film. And you know, the beginning of a journey that really affected a lot of people's lives, as you were saying, though, in terms of film going experience Uh, for me, it's a lot of it is, you know, the moment spent watching it with family and friends were the biggest thing. Like some of the, best moments of my life were sitting here watching these things with my family and my grandfather. And it's a movie that you can watch as a kid and you can watch with your, that you can enjoy as a family, but also just like, isn't lame. If that makes sense. You know what I mean? Some movies you can watch with your family. You're like, man, this is shit. (laughs) But like Indiana Jones is doing cool shit. He's fighting people. There's Nazis. There's all, there's intrigue. And uh, I really think it's a, you know, and we're going to kind of get into uh, it as a throwback to kind of a bygone era in Hollywood and like kind of how that mixed with its, it's the film community that Lucas and Spielberg came up with. I, yeah. I have one question. Is Han Solo just space Indiana Jones? No, because Han Solo is only interested in money. Indiana Jones is all about the preservation of history. Are, so- we, are we saying that? Han Solo is a more flawed character than Indiana Jones. No, but their motivations are completely different. Yes, I agree with that. I somehow, I sometimes think that the Empire is just staged for uh, Nazis as well. So I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, this wasn't, this wasn't, a, I'm like, this wasn't a big acting stretch for Han Solo. No, 
No. For motherfucking I, I mean, Harrison Ford. No, but I mean, like, you can blame Steven Spielberg for him being cast in this, right? Because originally, uh, George Lucas was opposed to the idea, not because Harrison wasn't good. It was because he had already used him as Han Solo. So he didn't want him to be, quote unquote, his his Robert De Niro, like what Scorsese and Robert De Niro have, right? Yeah, because that didn't work out for Scorsese. Yeah, well, <laughs> what, what a nightmare. Um, yeah, Can I, I'm going to ask you one question. Yeah. Here, this is a... Uh, this is a kind of a really big one. And did I just forget that question? I did. Continue with what you're saying. <laughs> no. So anyway, originally they were going to, they had Tom Selleck. Okay. That's what I was going to ask. As, as I go, why one, was right? Tom Selleck not, why was Tom Selleck not available for this? Because he was doing Magnum PI. Come on. I swear to God. Uh, no, I Steven... like, I know, but it's just like, that's fucking Magnum PI. <laughs> well. I mean, I don't know if you... I, I wasn't alive when Magnum P.I. came out. Maybe but... if he was on Quincy, like Jack Klugman, that'd be a different story. <laughs> it's a much better show. From what I understand about Magnum P.I., even though it's Magnum P.I., it was pretty successful in the 80s, from what I understand. It was a st- It was a st- It was a, a contributor to, you know, style and, like, it, in the same way in the late 70s, to the late 70s and 80s, in the same way that Miami Vice was in the later 80s, mid-80s. Right. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, so they went after Tom Selleck and they didn't get him because he was doing Magna P.I. And they also screen tested Tim Matheson from Animal House as well. Right. Which is hilarious to me because I just can't I just can't picture Tim Matheson playing Indiana Jones. His kid Van Wilder would have loved that. Toga. He just starts chanting Toga. His kid Van Wilder would have loved that. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So but anyway, so, yeah, so they settle on Harrison Ford. And I mean. You know, I can't imagine anybody else doing it now. That's for sure. But. Listen, some actors don't have massive range, but are still awesome. Yeah. Right. And those are like, and I just, I can't even imagine fucking Tom Selleck trying to figure out anything to do with history. You, did you see the behind the scenes documentary on, on Raiders when they showed the screen tests? Yeah. yeah it's, it's fucking awesome. <laughs> it's, it's pretty hard to imagine, right? You they, can't. That's what I'm saying. Like, you can't even. I'm like, how? It's it's fucking like it, these casting what ifs are always so interesting and because like the way they change history, because I don't think that these guys have enough in 1981. They have pull and they have mojo, but they don't I don't think they have enough mojo yet to make Tom Selleck work beyond no. a shadow of a doubt. Like I think after Spielberg did Close Encounters, like that was, I think, his biggest gamble, really. After yeah. doing Jaws, after doing Sugarland Express, Close Encounters was like a big special effects ex- extravaganza that I th- like. He says a lot was hinging on him being able to pull that off. Yeah, and I- and I mean he pulled it off. I mean spectacularly. But even but Raiders was an even bigger gamble. But he wanted to be able to to show that he could make a movie on not such a ridiculous budget like Close Encounters. Yeah, and that's why I think. Raiders was a challenge for him in that regard, but it also, you know, because of his limited time to shoot scenes and his limited budget, I think he just had to get creative and and make it work. And I mean, we saw what happened on Jaws when that fucking shark didn't didn't work. Right. They had to turn the movie into a fucking 
we don't see the shark for an hour and a half and it turns into the greatest thriller ever right? it turns so, into it's the whole thing he's the it's problem what? solver the, the it, legacy of spielberg is that he's maybe the best problem solver in cinematic history with, absolutely with some of these movies, he turns right? so, turns problems into advantages into things yeah. that define the films because like if you see the shark and jaws it's not fucking it's not going to have the same it's not scary no. you're not in a swimming pool worried about getting attacked by a shark at six years old yeah. and you know what i mean like with that kind of stuff uh maybe my only my family's stupid enough to let a kid fucking and watch uh, Jaws at the fucking six. Yeah, I think the big thing too, because it's funny, because it's the uh, for it's the budget that really makes it a risk for Close Encounters, because yes. like, but also like I like I mean, Raiders of the Lost Ark is a th- is something that people have seen before, right? Like it really mm-hmm. goes back to that Errol Flynn yeah. idea of adventure, whereas Close Encounters is a risk from a you know from a stylistic and point yeah, of view there's been nothing like it right? yeah and, and to and i think it's really the first truly artful film of like a truly artful blockbuster that you would count yeah. as a blockbuster because it's done so well and and so exploring the ideas of humanity and a relationship with you know extraterrestrials and you know that obviously he's going to talk about even more yeah and just just uh what it what it is and what it did and i i think that's a really good note this idea of steven spielberg as the problem solver because some of these issues are 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 historically significant because if he doesn't if he's not able to figure them out like the the whole course of hollywood has changed and people were betting on him to fail oh of course well i mean how could you not jaws is like you know, Jaws, Jaws is up there as far as my favorite Spielberg films still, just because of the fact that he was able to figure out those issues and turn them into legendary moments, even though, you know, the odds were against him in doing so. And I think that's really, you know, where everybody got it wrong with him is just also this guy's like a fucking prodigy. Like he was sneaking onto movie sets in Hollywood when he was 16 like he wanted it he like, like he it, wanted it so bad yeah. yeah so i mean like you know and he had advantages that no one else would have but that's just his his tenacity and his willing to go out and yeah and, and literally do it himself right so i mean with jaws like if you've read the benchley book mm-hmm. it's it's really it, it's it's a scary book and i think the no then the no automated shark like it really kind of a lot like gets it makes it closer to the book and what people are experiencing and i just thought it's genius i think all these things kind of represent you know his genius and we're as i said we're gonna get into it with this yeah. next question uh so both george lucas and steven spielberg are products of new hollywood you know in the late 60s and 70s but their films are a direct throwback to like popcorn flicks from their childhood how did this film and uh you know flicks like star wars and jaws change hollywood's trajectory for better or for worse sub question do we blame this flick for national treasure yes yes we, we do. do we do we do okay you know, that being said, I don't think National Treasure is a terrible movie. I think it's a movie that that kids would love. Right. It's not a poorly made film. It's just not like a... the second one is dog shit. Well, whatever. The second one's the second one. We got Ed right? Harris in the first one, don't we? No, Ed Harris is in the second one. Is in the second one. Who's in, in the, the second one? Yeah. The first one is uh, Sean Bean. That's right. Yeah. First one's Sean Bean. So anyway, and he didn't die, by the way. He just went to prison. So there's that. Mm. But yeah, like, I mean, these like Star Wars and Raiders you know, really did take the blockbuster into the stratosphere. Like Jaws was really the first blockbuster, obviously, uh, that still people are afraid to go in the water after seeing that. But like Raiders, you know, kind of opened the door a little bit 
for the accessible action adventure movie and it's sort of like a, a beginning of a new era for action adventure movies it's kind of like the like the midway point from all the old adventure serials and this is like the transition into the net like the modern era adventure movies like and so we get like the national treasures and you get like you know just every, like anything else like pretty much pick any other big like adventure movie like fucking sahara fucking you know even the mummy right like with brendan Fraser and all that stuff like these are all direct lines back to indiana jones and raiders of the lost ark right like anything sort of like that even like stargate like man right, i love from, me like, some stargate that right, movie's like, awesome like all of these things are sort of callbacks to two raiders right you so, got sex lies and videotape spader in fucking yeah fucking uh stargate love it i mean like new hollywood created this idea of like anti-heroes and like a big look inwards that kind of aligned with the counterculture that was happening of the time and you know the darker things that were going on in the united states and thus we get a darker look at society but these films again like the the corny over romanticized action films of like errol flynn which which are awesome right mm-hmm. like which are which are important because you can't have everything can't be this overture about the human condition it's just i kind of think it was it, the origins of this were for more of an independent minded you know perspective and business model yeah uh, and the amount of joy my grandparents got from these kind of films is intense like when i talk to my grandparents about movies and which act you know they talk a lot about which actors and what they were into in the like going and paying a quarter to go see a movie and you know what they what they meant to them and this film everything they explain about those films from the 40s and 50s and how they affected them are exactly the same as how rage of the lost ark you know affected this another generation yeah well the x factor is a number of things obviously spielberg being one of them being maybe the greatest director ever obviously the score by john williams in Mm -hmm. any of the adventure movies that spielberg has made has propelled them into the pulp like into pop culture like nothing else and just the perfect lining up of the scenarios where harrison ford comes into the picture and and also the script. I don't think we can we can leave the script out by Lawrence Kasdan because that script is airtight for an adventure movie. The Raiders script is pretty airtight. It's it's really lean because it, it, it kind of moves in a very uh, like the pacing is good. It really moves in a in a in a very logical progression that isn't boring because you're so like gripped by it. But He's just so good at writing these things. And obviously oh, yeah. he wrote Empire and like mm-hmm. that's a whole other fucking thing. And Lawrence Kasdan I mean, uh, definitely has to be one of the great action film writers, you know, yeah. in and history. It, like apparently Lucas Spielberg and Lawrence Kasdan sat in a room with a tape recorder for three days and just ironed out the plot. And he just went and wrote it. I love that. That's how they came up with it. Just there was stuff that Spielberg wanted to shoot stuff, sequences that he had in mind and Lucas had a bunch of story ideas for the Ark of the Covenant and all that stuff. And then they just kind of threw, they just kind of put everything into a movie that they wanted to see. And that's what they did. That's, I think that's a big thing I love about this is that there is such like a nerd situation coming together with it. And it's just people who love, you can tell when there is a joy of filmmaking put into a film. Yes. And this is one of the ones where you can really kind of feel it. And that's infectious to the audience, I think. Yeah. So we, I mean, we talked about it as an action and adventure film. Where does it stand in the history of action adventure films for you? I mean, it's up at the top of the list. I think just because of the way it was, and also the way that it was made. Like no other movie would ever be made like this today. Like you would never be able to take 
a crew out to the desert in Tunisia and shoot a truck seat like a truck chase sequence sword fighting through the streets like there's just so many things about it that are legendary just from the production alone that i mean it's it's really just raw filmmaking ability at this point right i think that's what makes it sort of stand up uh and will make it stand up for the test of time and also just the way it's shot too like an old adventure movie like quick and dirty but I don't know. It's just it's just classic. There's just no other way to really describe what it means other than just to say that everything just lined up so perfectly. And it's just one of the most enjoyable movies to just watch. Yeah, this for me is pretty much the gold standard for action adventure movies and yeah. uh, which pretty much automatically makes it top five, top three. I would even for me, I don't really I would ask what one is better from just an over from an overall filmmaking point of view because you have a master of film doing this and i the thing and we're gonna get the next thing we're gonna we're gonna get into uh where this is for spielberg but i mean just everything coming together and all the components uh you know the the leading the the actors are fantastic in it yeah karen allen is even great in it you know what I mean? Like she does, she does really great. Uh, and she's, by the way, she's the best leading woman out of the trilogy. Yeah, so there's, easily. there is, there's easily. no, and, and this is kind of why in Crystal Skull, despite the miscarriage of justice that it was, her coming back was something I was always totally into because I, I think like at some point you have to humanize him more from a relationship standpoint. That's kind of why I loved the third one. Uh, him and his father and this idea of like you start to see more into the internal feelings of Indiana Jones and how he yeah. became who he is and how he develops these relationships and all that kind of stuff. So I I loved it coming back. Jonathan Rhys Davies all obviously of course fucking fantastic. Just make sure you are you know watch and the date and, and Marcus Marcus Brody. Brody is fucking so good. I, I mean, mean you t- yeah. you talked about uh what what you we feel uh Phoebe Waller-Bridge is going to be doing. Uh and I'm really hoping that uh in this in, in Indiana Jones 5 and I'm really hoping that you're correct that it, there's the Marcus Brody line there. I think I think so. I mean, Marcus Brody we really get to explore more in Last Crusade whereas in Raiders he's kind of just like yeah, you know, Indiana Jones is sort of like he's almost like a mentor of sorts but he's like his 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 boss or whatever right at the university so we kind of get a get an end to what he's like he's just someone that's totally down with whatever indiana jones is doing but in last crusade he's really a really funny okay, character so one of the the scene where he's like he's like marcus brody speaks a thousand languages <laughs> and so he has good. a three-day head start he already and if and you know and he probably already has the grail and then it cuts to him just like wandering it's so fucking like these are the moments in this trilogy that are incredible and just make it so because you think it's so intense and then immediately the tension gets alleviated and like they know when to like pull the gasket off it and when to keep it on and you know i i definitely think that uh this is probably the the greatest action adventure movie of all time I, i i would really it would really be hard pressed to name another one that comes close to it just in terms of everything it's able to do. And I mean, that's dipping into Spielberg's career as well. And some of his other movies and funny, um, funny, funny side note about Sala before I forget. Originally they wanted Danny DeVito to play Sala. <laughs> they just and get they, Gimli <laughs> picking Jonathan Rice Davies. Right. And I remember uh, the behind the scenes documentary is hilarious. Uh, when Jonathan Rice Davies is talking about being cast, he's just like, 
Stephen, you describe Sala as like a five foot four, frail Egyptian digger. What do you propose? Surgery? <laughs> <laughs> it's just anyway. It just goes to show you like your perception of who you want versus who they got. And like they wanted Danny DeVito, they got Jonathan Rice Davies. They wanted Tom Selleck, they got Harrison Ford. Right. And now can you just tell me you can picture those other two guys in those roles. I don't even know which episode of Taxi Driver it would be like if Danny DeVito was in it. Like, you know what I mean? Or like, especially now after you after after fucking. Um, oh, my God. Why can't I remember the show that he's on? Oh, well, it's always sunny. It's always sunny in Philadelphia. I My brain is fucked today. That's first of all, that show is so funny. It's so can funny. you imagine him being like, you know what the problem is, Indy? Your wife is a, Karen Allen is a whore. He's just see like he's just saying like I, that's all I do is is just picture it's just picture him saying these lines from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, and yeah. like I just can't like my brain can't comprehend it like what that would be. But even in like Taxi Driver, right? Yeah. Like when you're talking about Christopher Lloyd being a crazy scientist, you mean you're not talking about Taxi Driver? You meant oh, sorry, taxi, not Taxi Driver, the taxi, show, taxi the Show. Oh my God, yeah. Taxi yeah. Driver, Taxi the Show. Yeah, this is what happens when I don't smoke weed. <laughs> um, you know what I mean? Like I can't like Christopher Lloyd being in one of the you know in one of these movies as the crazy scientist. I can see because like there's some like lines between that from Taxi. Right. But yeah. listen, and I'm not, and I'm a, I, I go to bat for Danny DeVito. Uh, yeah. He's fucking awesome. But I just yeah, Jonathan Rhys Davies, and also just his nature like it feels like he could be you know in the middle east uh yeah. you know what i mean like have the more yeah. classical ideas of the of the film it's his booming voice too he's just got a big booming Indeed. on-screen presence right like his yeah. presence on screen is, is is insane he's great yeah so to close out i want to kind of talk about talk about spielberg hits a career high watermark with this film where does it stand among his efforts um well i mean his resume is is stacked like no one's is stacked but i mean like for me it's 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 in my top three like i i don't know like his best film is schindler's list period end of sentence like his best film that he's ever made is schindler's list it's not my favorite spielberg movie but it's his best film well he's kind of got a weird uh filmography because well he's all he can do well the thing i like about him too is that that was the criticism right that he was getting leading up to him doing films like Empire of the Sun and The Color Purple in the mid-80s was that, oh, he's just the action-adventure guy that makes movies for general audiences, and he doesn't do, quote-unquote, yeah. serious cinema, right? And he's then, got too many arrows in his quiver to say that shit. Like, yeah, now, then, like, yeah. Yeah, and then he's just like, well, hang on a second. Like, no, I can totally do that shit, right? So, I mean, it's one of his best from a craft standpoint, because, like, aside from the fact that it's an action-adventure movie... The film, the display of filmmaking in this, just from like a craft standpoint, is off the charts. Like, I like one of my favorite Spielberg things that he does is he does a lot of these great one takes for scenes Mm -hmm. where he'll just move the camera. Well, he'll basically put the camera in one spot and just move the actors, right? Like, one of my favorite one take scenes in Jaws is when they get on that ferry to cross the river. Yeah. And it starts in a wide shot on the one end of the ferry, and the scene ends with Brody. And the mayor in a in a profile close up, right? And it's just a minute and fifteen seconds. But he just he does stuff like that. Like so, he's got like that classical sort of directing style. That's a throwback to classic films from the forties, the thirties, and the fifties. And then he modernizes it with, you know, the special effects and 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 the story. 
So he's definitely like sort of in, in both worlds. And that's one of the things about Raiders that I really love is that you get a sense of this classic cinema throwback, but then you bring it into, you know, the 1980s with Spielberg and sort of his unique spin on, on it. And I think that's what just gives it its, its weight. Plus the use of music in the films, uh, like in, in this film in particular, we don't hear the theme, like Marion's theme. We don't mm-hmm. hear it until she's dead for the first time. Yeah. And it's just like, well, that's that's brilliant. Like, you'd think that it would happen when we see her for the first time, and we don't. We hear it when she's gone, and you think, like, she's dead. And then the, then the theme just recurs through the rest of the film. It's just things like that that are just, like, brilliant, that just elevate it, you know, to, to a level of art that's just yeah, really, like, Yeah, it's a, de- like, it's a like deft unique, touch. You know? it's, just, it's, just the, it's just a cherry on top. It's beautiful. Yeah. For right. me, uh, like I do, like uh, I completely agree. Schindler's List is his best film. It's just artfully a masterpiece, just from all points of view. But I'm not watching that over and over again. No. And like I also thought, like Munich was really courageous filmmaking from him mm-hmm. as well, especially like as a Jewish filmmaker, and you know him taking a very even side in in that um you know in that story and which is it's very intense and he's just leading such a good cast in it but like i think it's i think it's schindler's list but in terms of his popcorn films like for me it's this and then Jurassic probably Park. Dra- yeah Jurassic Park afterwards because yeah. those were the two movies that had the biggest effect on me and like wanting to be a filmmaker and all this kind of stuff so yeah i mean I think I'm pretty sure 40 years from now when I probably have an arm amputated or something, (laughs) we're going to be talking about this again. Yeah. Like, I mean, he's done so many amazing movies and there's, there's things that he's done that everyone always forgets that he's done because he's done so many of them. Like one of my other childhood favorite adventure films, even though it's not, it doesn't sit on the same level as, as Raiders, as far as just the, the craft and, 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 and just sort of grandiose story is Hook. I love Hook. It's so right? good. And and Hook is like, uh, it was a failure when it came out. But if you were six years old and you watched Hook, you never forgot it. You know, it was it was just one of those uh, looking back. It's one of one of the best children's adventure movies probably. Ever. Yeah, because that that I don't know how many times I've seen that fucking movie. So and many fucking times. It was it, how good is Dustin Hoffman as Hook? He's I didn't incredible. even know it was Dustin Hoffman. Yeah, absolutely the, incredible. Like when I saw it, I had to be like, "Wait a second, that's fucking Dustin Hoffman." The yeah. fuck? I don't know. He just he's just had like he has characters that are able to just kind of disappear into these like into these parts as well. Like uh, Jaws, like Jaws is probably in my top three too. I'd say it's probably like Raiders, yeah. Jaws, and Jurassic Park would be yeah. my like top three Spielberg movies with like a subcategory for like catch me if you can because I fucking love catch because me if you get you can. little yeah you get those little things too and then right. even dipping back into like the color purple which is just really well fucking done and what even like Sugarland Express there's so yeah. much uh yeah. so much rich filmmaking there I think that's a good place to end it John Neal uh Raiders of the Lost Ark, uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark <laughs> is uh, undoubtedly one of the classics, and I think 40 years from now we'll be talking about it again. Absolutely. So thank you very much, John. Uh, we're gonna get going, and uh, all right, we'll talk to you all soon. Peace. Peace.